Hello, everyone. This is England is burning for Wednesday, October the 13th, 2021. It is a Wednesday in the ATL in Georgia in the USA. This is your Chelsea Women Weekly feature. Uh, today, uh, per we have all season long, and even the last season, we have Rob Prattley back from the CFCW social, and this time we're not seeing an avatar. Yeah, this is a <laughs> momentous moment. I mean, uh, it's mainly due to the fact that I couldn't get StreamYard to log in. So I'm just using it at the moment on the guest account. So I'm not sure how often. Again, apologies to those that do have to endure my face for the rest of this podcast. I mean, there's a reason. I, I won't blame you if you choose, do choose to just listen to the audio. Right. Yeah, I, I say it all the time, as you know, uh, and so forth. But Rob, welcome back. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Not too bad. Good to be back. Yeah, you you are a very busy man with all these matches coming in a row for Chelsea and just a lot happening and so forth. So let's hop to it. But a couple of off the field things that are uh, uh, that I wanted to kind of bring up first that are you know excellent, incredible achievements. No, number one, uh, Emma Hayes. Still going, obviously, as uh, as coach manager of Chelsea, inducted into the WSL Hall of Fame uh, and so forth. Um, Your thoughts about that? Yeah, really fitting. It came on the week that she secured her 100th win in WSL as well. Um, I mean, there's not much more I can say about Emma Hayes other than that she is a visionary. She has done more for the growth of the women's game, I think, than... Most other people, it would be very hard to think of someone who's been as influential, not just on the field, but also off the field um, with it. Obviously, the record number of WSL titles that she has won, um, has won everything in the business now, apart from you know the big European trophy. And I think if she does win that, there's a strong debate. Is she the greatest uh, women's manager of all time in England? Possibly even, you know, looking at one of them in the world. Um, but yeah, just a you know, incredible achievement. And I, I must admit, I'm honest with you, I'm less of a fan of Halls of Fame. I feel that they often sort of feel very self-congratulatory and the, the rhetoric behind them is often sort of clouds the actual reason and the contribution people make. But I will say so far, all of the inductees to the WSL Hall of Fame, every single one of them, it's hard to disagree with why they've been inducted and you know, what they've done. I'd also at this point like to mention uh, Farrah Williams as well, obviously the first inductee who started her career at Chelsea um, and ended it ironically at Chelsea in her final game for Reading. But yeah, no, and again, another sort of real poster child for the growth of women's football and has seen it come from, you know, tremendous leaps and bounds and I think is now working with England's under-23 squad um, along with Mo Marley sort of to help develop that further and no doubt that that will lead to more successes. Yeah, you know that you're on the top of the mountain when you have not retired and you're being inducted into a Hall of Fame. Yeah. You know, you're just you're at the top. So incredibly well deserved. And then also, I don't know, there's a lot of um, there, there's a lot of can, uh, talk around, you know, back, positive and negative about the Ballon d'Or, about, you know, what kind of award it is. Some people down it. Some people say it's great. Some people, you know, some people are in the middle. But at the end of the day, uh, there were five Chelsea players. Uh, who were nominated in the final 20 for the Ballon d'Or. Um, your thoughts on the five players, your thoughts about the Ballon d'Or period? I mean, the, the five players, I couldn't really argue with any of the names. I think you can make strong candidates for them being in the top 24 or top 25 of players in the last year. Um, ultimately, Chelsea did win the league, won you know, the domestic trophy, could still win the other domestic trophy, 
um, and reach, you know, a European final. So I don't think there's any complaints. I will say I'm slightly surprised that there weren't more Barcelona players um, nominated. I think that partly, you know, comes down to an element of selection bias. Uh, I did feel there were some players that were nominated more on name than on achievement. Um, I won't say specifically who, because ultimately my opinion is irrelevant in this now. But I do think, you know, there is a tendency with this that players do tend to get nominated, not on what they've done recently, but on maybe historic achievements or the fact that they play for big clubs. And I've said this before as well, when you see national teams, um, sort of uh, squads for national teams selected, that often there is a selection bias where the biggest names get selected over perhaps the most informed names. But no, I think yeah, I think it's a fair sort of situation. Um, I think seeing five Chelsea players is a very sort of good thing, really good, reflects the level and standard that they were at last season. Do I think one of them should win it? Um, I think probably the strongest arguments you could make would be for Sam Kerr and Frank Kirby. Kerr for winning the Golden Boot, scoring you know several times in Europe as well, and also um, scoring at the Olympics quite consistently for Australia. And Kirby, as I've said, you know, being the best player in WSL last year. I will, however, say that my vote probably has to reluctantly go to Alexia Pateas, um, FCB, uh, Barcelona um, Femini, because if you look on paper, you, it's hard to split them and Chelsea both won the domestic cup, both won the league. But because they won that Champions League final, I think it probably has to go to a Barcelona player again. I know Alexia won, I think, the UEFA Player of the Year, which is usually a good barometer for the start of where these awards are going. Um, personally, I think the award should have, and I was stunned not to see her nominated, it was Caroline Graham Hansen. Um, you know, I think CGH is a brilliant, brilliant player. I've said this before, that she's the one, I think, that makes Barcelona really, really tick. And I was just stunned to see her not nominated. And besides um, besides Kerr and um, Kirby, who are the other three Chelsea nominees, just for the audience? I believe it's Magda Eriksson, and Katrin Berger, and Panilla Harder. Yeah, let me let me just pull up the list. <laughs> that, 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 I certainly remember that being the ones that I've discussed so far. Right. I mean, again, I think all of those you can make strong arguments for. AKB obviously winning the Golden Glove and having a very successful time in Europe. Magda Eriksson, you know, captaining... It must have been a bittersweet year in the end, Ferrix, and captaining her team to the title and also to the domestic cup, but losing the Champions League final and using, losing the Olympics final. Um, and again, I know she herself has spoken quite candidly that it's hard to get over that experience, and understandably so. Um, and also, I think Penilla Harder, although I've said, you know, last year, I don't think Chelsea got the most out of Penilla Harder. It's really interesting this year to see that I think they are starting to now unlock that real, you know, genius of a player. But you know, it's a feather in her cap, the fact that she can be nominated even in a year that I think, you know, she underperformed. It's a real feather in the cap. Yeah, so the five players, again, for Chelsea are, are Frank Kirby, Fernell Harder, Sam Kerr, Magda Eriksson, and Jesse Fleming. Uh, uh, Jesse Fleming, not AKB. Ah, uh, yeah, maybe that was my one argument then, was that I thought Berger should have been nominated over Jesse Fleming. Yeah, I was surprised that she wasn't, actually. that's That was the surprise to me. And Jesse Fleming, it sounds like she was nominated mainly on the strength of her performance Olympic, for the Canadian uh, national team yeah. in the Olympics um, and so forth. So, But yeah, I was a little bit surprised that AKB was not uh, was not nominated nominated in there but it's kind of hard for for goaltenders and goalkeepers to be nominated yeah. i guess i think yeah, uh, and so forth then you you mentioned and real briefly you mentioned alexia um from barcelona i think probably she's kind of the 
maybe not the hands-on favorite, but probably the favorite given what's on paper uh, and also playing for, you know, the, the Champions League winners and so forth. Uh, but yeah, with the, I mean, you can certainly make a case for a number of them, but um, I, I had a little bit of issue of a, like a 20 person list. Like, yeah, you know, it's, it's not really a short list, is it? I, I detest you know, that phrase, um, stupid phrase. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So, all right, let's jump to, uh, let's jump to the Champions League. I, I know that Chelsea uh, women have a uh, a Champions League group stage match today, actually, in the time of a recording with Juventus in at mm-hmm. Juventus and so forth. But last week, uh, on the day of recording last week, uh, Chelsea played Wolfsburg. What, what, are your, what were your thoughts? I mean, it was, it ended up being a 3-3 uh, draw, um, you know, at Chelsea. And so it was a, from a neutral standpoint, it was a great great game. It was a spectacle of goals. Yeah, a cracking match from a neutral point of view, but an absolutely horrendous match to watch as a fan. Um, okay. For the first 20 minutes, I thought Chelsea were brilliant. I think Kerr took her goal brilliantly. I thought G gave one of her best 90 sort of minute performances that she's done um, since coming to Chelsea, which was you know a long, long time ago now. I thought she was absolutely sensational, rolled back the clock in a way. But took her goal really well. And at that point, it looked like Chelsea should have gone on and sort of steamrolled them. And then it was just defensive mistakes. And what I, what frustrates me is that it wasn't just one player making mistakes. There were every one of the goals. There were multiple players, you know, were culprits and multiple issues. And if you're going to be the best team in Europe, you can't be making, you can't be gifting three goals in a game against Mm -hmm. decent opposition. You just can't be doing that. Again, as someone else said, we're lucky that wasn't a knockout tie because if that had been a knockout tie, Wolfsburg would have played very differently for the rest of the game. Um, and it would have, you know, I don't think Chelsea would have come back. I will say that I do feel that there was um, some poor refereeing in the game again. I do think the referee was poor. I think she, there were a number of decisions that she could have given sort of or let go that she sort of pulled up on. Certainly, Chelsea felt like she was giving the lion's share of decisions to Wolfsburg and Wolfsburg were very happy when possible to break the game up and disrupt it and weren't really getting due punishment in the form of yellow cards, um, which is sort of frustrating. But yeah, I mean, the the goals that Chelsea conceded were terrible. Let's not beat around the bush. Um, the first goal... Magda Eriksson and Berger between the communication. If Eriksson was in doubt, she should have just larruped it into Rose Ed. If Berger was in doubt, she should have just larruped it into Rose Ed. The fact they both stopped and went field wanted to do it. Fair play to the striker being you know on the spot and putting it in. But terrible, terrible goal. Second one, this is a distribution thing, and I'm very sure people like seeing playing out from the back. But this was at a point when Wolfsburg was starting to gain a foothold in the game. Mm-hmm. Beth England was on the pitch and she is sort of a bit of a focal point up there. Chelsea weren't using that enough and using that presence up there enough, in my opinion, up alongside Sam Kerr. And also Kerr herself, who's not bad in the air. Um, Chelsea should have been playing it long, clearing it. Instead, I think they tried to play it out to uh, Sophie Ingle, I think. Um, it may not have been Sophie Ingle, but, you know, hospitable was picked up really well by Rawd and in the end, Rawd, you know, did the business and did what she needs to do. But I will say, again, I think if you're a top, top side, and this is where it's the difference between Chelsea and Barcelona, I think on the night before against Arsenal, Barcelona were always in control and knew exactly what they were doing. Whereas Chelsea, in that game against Wolfsburg, I think they had control and then they lost it. And that was what was really quite 
problematic is the right word, Mm -hmm. was sort of quite a difficult thing and quite an issue. Um, Sort of for because once you lose control against a good side, it's really hard to regain it and really hard to get back to um, sort of an even kill. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, going 3-1 down, Carter, I have said before about Jess Carter, I don't think she's good enough as a centre-back. Mm-hmm. Not in a three, not in a two. I think, you know, she's struggling this season. She needs to be taken out of the limelight because when a player is struggling that badly and consistently struggling that badly, it really does affect them. And I'm sure she doesn't want to make these mistakes. I said before, I spoke to the players and said, like, you know, you don't want to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. But the fact she was constantly looked to be really unsure and really unaware and quite sort of confused in a way, um, it was causing sort of issues. And I think that was really the main thing from my perspective is that when it went to 3-1, it became very, very difficult to see Chelsea getting back into it. And I think certainly praise has to be given for the fact they did get back into it, obviously scored two scrappier goals in a way um obviously Beth England's one from a corner the first one they actually played the back post headed back across and then in the scramble poked home good instinctive strikers finish and then um coming up to sort of the late in the game Chelsea started to push push and press and I do think they did get the just reward they didn't really test the keeper enough I felt in enough complex situations and this will come on to something I said about the Leicester game is that at times it feels Chelsea are trying to score that perfect goal again this season and not getting shots in and getting, more importantly, getting them on target. That's what I think my real issue lies. And I think Chelsea's real problem is at the moment is the profligacy in front of goal. And when they can fix that, I think they will fix an awful lot of the issues they've had going forward this season, albeit they're ones that only against the top side you're going to notice because they can get away with it against lesser opposition. Mm-hmm. And even and the other thing about Wolfsburg is, I mean, Wolfsburg was a little bit shorthanded on the offensive side as well, not having a couple of key players also uh, mm-hmm. on hand uh, and so forth. So you're taking the argument uh, regards to how Chelsea performed this match in through forcing Chelsea into mistakes. It was Chelsea committing unforced errors that created these opportunities. Yeah. But I, I, I think, you know, the only one you can say they forced them into mistake is the second one. And the second one, that mistake was only forced because of a poor decision at the beginning. Um, the first one was a hopeful ball forward. Let, let's, you know, not, not sugarcoat it. It wasn't some unbelievable pass through the line. It was a long punt forward to try and clear their lines from Wolfsburg that Chelsea didn't deal with. And the final one with Carter, that was just Carter overcomplicating things. And if she was that, you know concerned even if you needed to stick it out for a throw or even stick it out for a corner do that and readjust rather than trying to you know turn and play back passes especially in that position where you're sort of the wide center back and you've got to play it back across your own goal because if you get that wrong anyway you're going to play in the striker that's going to be in the middle and they're going to have a tap in so I think it was a really difficult pass to play and the better thing would have just been to just larrap it out of play but down three to one, what what did you see as far as any adjustments that were made by Chelsea, if at all, when they were down three to one in the second half? I mean, Chelsea, I think, showed more urgency at three one. However, one thing I will say is that they made the change and made it three two. And then they sort of had a period of real pressure that was disrupted by the substitutes. And I think Emma maybe made the substitutes at a poor time. Um, mm-hmm. I was a bit surprised Beth England came off because I thought even though she hadn't had a 
best game she had scored and she was providing a presence up there and more of a focal point, perhaps even more so than Sam Kerr in the second half. I thought Kerr did fade a little bit and she was more interested in, she got caught up in that personal battle, I think, with Roush. Um, and I think that was possibly a little bit of a thing where Kerr needs to just be told at times to channel the aggression in the positive manner because of the sort of player she is. She is, you know, does play with her heart on the sleeve and does play in that way. But in a game like that, you couldn't really afford it because it was giving away silly free kicks and silly fouls um, and causing, you know, all sorts of problems. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was a pretty strong lineup to to start with. But again, you know, I I can't say enough about Pernell Harder coming through uh, at the end. And we'll speak of her again as when we talk about the the game on the weekend and so forth. But she comes through, uh, you know, in stoppage time to 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 against her old team uh, and so forth. What kind of moment was that? I think it was a moment more of relief than anything because it wouldn't have been good, I think, for Chelsea to lose the opening match there, especially not in the way they lost it. Um, I think it's always important to put points on the board. Again, we're probably looking at, honestly, Chelsea and Wolfsburg being the two teams that qualify from the group. And I think the fact it's a draw now, it does mean that Chelsea can realistically, you know, go to Germany and work on the basis that they still just need to win, not that they need to overturn sort of a result on a head-to-head. Right. Right. Um, and uh, what did you think of um, Harder's celebration after the goal? I've got absolutely no problem with a player celebrating against their former club. I said this before when I watch, mm-hmm. you know, men's football. Um, ultimately, a, every goal should be, you know, celebrated and enjoyed. This is why I also don't like players that don't celebrate goals that just sort of wander away and shrug it off because ultimately every single goal should mean something, even if it's just personal sort of accolade and I think you know she wasn't celebrating in a disrespectful way it wasn't as if she did anything to you know be disrespectful it was just celebrating it and enjoying the moment with the fans and I think especially with it being the first game back at King's Meadow in the UWCL with fans her first game at King's Meadow in the UWCL with fans you just have to make allowances for it I didn't think it was you know when I saw people complaining about that I thought you know you're just making an argument out of nothing really yeah, I thought I, I think those types of arguments. Uh, I mean, I understand why some players choose not to uh, and so forth. I, I get it. Uh, but I think given the moment uh, for her moment for the team, the context of the situation, uh, that goal meant something uh, on so many different possible levels. So it should have been celebrated. And to your point, you know, it was done in a respectful manner. It wasn't like to- it wasn't disrespectful in any way so i had absolutely no problem with it but i know uh, you know some people had kind of rang their hands and things like that about it but given the context of you know uh, the entire context of the situation i think it was you know i have absolutely no problem with that and i really don't have any problem with any player you know celebrating a goal against their old team for whatever reason as long as it's done respectfully so i exactly that i I don't think you know, I don't think Penelada was doing it in any way and I don't think she, you know, she said it herself. She enjoyed her time at Wolfsburg, but she is now a Chelsea player. And, like, mm-hmm. I yeah. I can understand it if it's a player who's spent a long, long time at a certain club and, you know, is playing against them maybe after spending 10 years at a club and not celebrating it. But when you see it after it's once you've done one or two seasons, give me a break. Just celebrate the goal and get on with it. Yeah. 
<laughs> excellent point uh excellent point so so it's a three three draw and, and it probably uh, going back to your point earlier about being somewhat of a relief you know when i was talking with kate with uh the, you know when talking about manchester city during the manchester derby you know coming out with a draw was a sense of sort of like relief like and so forth there uh that it wasn't a, a loss where it definitely could have been same thing here coming coming back from three one down you know late getting a very late goal uh, to end up in a draw, uh, you know, was probably, as you said, a relief, but it probably was a lot of angst at some point for many fans. And I, I don't know about you, you, Robin, you're closer to this, much closer to this than I am, but it seems that Chelsea fans, and I don't know how long this has been happening, but it seems that um, any hint of, you know, uh, uh, any hint of a drop in form or a drop in performance is met with a lot more, you know, wringing of hands and things like that than it has been before. I mean, has that been your observation? Yeah, to a point. I kind of, I will say in that regard, I think that's sort of one of those things is general across Chelsea Football Club, like, Chelsea is never more than one game away from a crisis unfolding. Um, a month ago, you know, after we'd lost the games to Manchester City and Juventus, Thomas Tuchel was a fraud. All of our players were, you know, awful. We were getting relegated. We weren't going to win anything. Lukaku was, you know, an £80 million flop, etc. Um, now, after we beat sort of Southampton last weekend, Tuchel's back to being a tactical genius again. Ruben Loftus-Cheek is now the next coming of Michael Ballack, um, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, part of it is just football fans being fickle. And, you know, I've always maintained that I think football fans are the most fickle people on earth. Um, but I do think from a Chelsea perspective, there's kind of a... And I don't, I don't know if this is the right way to say because I don't want to tar all the fans with the same brush, but I certainly feel at times there's a bit of a perceived sort of arrogance in a way about, you know, that we should be top of the league. We should be, you know, there or thereabouts in the UWCL and without recognising that this team is still quite early into its journey. As people um, like compare it to FC, uh, be Femini, for instance, it took them to lose their final and then spend, you know, 18 months rebuilding and developing before they won it again. And it took, you know, painful choices in terms of signing, in terms of people leaving, the right players coming in and the right decisions being made on and off the field. And I don't think there's anyone else other than Emma Hayes I would trust to make those decisions. So I think at times Chelsea fans need to just take a deep breath and relax as hard as it is to do and recognise that we could be in a much worse position. We could be in a similar situation like Manchester City women now where they've got a case where they've got a huge injury list, sort of rumours of infighting, a manager who I think in all honesty is starting to lose the dressing room um, and is starting to, you know, lose it and real expectation on them now to turn everything around after a really tough start to the season where you probably have to say they're now out of the WSL title race. They're obviously out of the UWCL already. The Conti Cup is going to be, you know, isn't easy. It's going to be, you know, a campaign where later on the likes of Chelsea and Arsenal are going to come back in um, and, you know, they're going to skip the bloated group stage of it. And you've got the Women's FA Cup, which is never easy. And, you know, there will be teams looking at shooting at them and looking to knock them out. So I think a little bit of perspective is just needed at times, really. 
And speaking of ringing up hands, uh, then we get to Leicester City on, over the weekend. Uh, and a lot of, I, I heard, saw a lot of ringing of hands and worrisome looks and things like that in, in response to the, to the game with Leicester. What are your, what, would, what are your thoughts about how this game unfolded? And, and uh, but I mean, one of the things though, before, before is, is I was like, talking about taking a deep breath. I, I, and, and I totally agree because I think Chelsea fans probably do need to take a deep breath because look at the fact that there were like, I think what, seven changes from the, from the lineup that played midweek, mm-hmm. uh, you know, playing with, with a different squad out there on that. And uh, you know, people look at the fact that it was, Oh, it's Leicester city. They're at the bottom of the table. They can't even score goals. Uh, they're being round pounded by everybody uh, and so forth that made, I think a lot of people thought it was going to be an easy win, but it didn't turn out that way. No, but I will also, as I said, I was on a Leicester City women podcast for this yesterday. And um, you sort of look at their performances that I've had, I suppose, since coming into WSL. When you actually look at the results they've had, besides West Ham, which I think was a couple of late goals, sort of putting gloss on the scoreline, They've not really been outclassed by anyone um, in the true sense of, you know, given an absolute drubbing. They've not lost a game, you know, four, five, six nil compared to last year when we saw Bristol City women have that sort of result against Chelsea. And I was on a Leicester podcast yesterday and I said, you know, on one hand, they could have come and played really open, attractive, expansive football. They could have played out from the back and then they could easily have lost, you know, five, six, seven or eight nil and everyone would have been criticising them for it. Instead, they came to do a job. They came to get a point and, you know, they set an incredible, they did the incredible thing of keeping harder Kirby and Kerr out for um, sort of uh, almost 80 and 81 minutes in total, which is so far in the last 18 months, only the only other side that can claim to have done that is Barcelona. Um is the only side to stop one of them scoring or assisting within that time. Now, obviously, that's scant consolation to Leicester because ultimately the result is what matters and winning 2-0. But I think people people perhaps in a way looked at it as a result. And I think I was perhaps also a bit um, naive in this regard to look at it and think that just because Leicester have been on poor form, you know, their morale will be down. And it's great credit, I think, to Jonathan Morgan and to the players that their heads weren't down and that they came to do a job and to focus and do a job. And you can't blame them for doing that because ultimately, as I've said, like I said last year, Bristol City women came and played against Chelsea, played lovely football, passing out from the back, moving it through the lines in the three games that Chelsea played against them. And the aggregate score in across, you know, the cups and also the league and the aggregate score was 20 nil. So, you know, if you expect a team to go ahead and play expansive and, open, free-flowing, lovely football, then, you know, I've got some magic beans to sell you because not every team is going to do that and not every team's situation is going to allow them to do that. Yeah, and as you know, as everyone out there knows, I've been very high on Leicester City. I I've, I believe in that we're trying to accomplish. I believe in in the, the personnel that they have. I believe that, you know, the, the fact that they have not, 
gotten any results so far is not indicative of how good they actually are. And I think they they showed over the weekend that they're a lot better than than some people think they are. Um, and I cold, totally agree, Rob, that it was naive to think that this was going to be, uh, you know, uh, some type of drubbing. Um, and, you know, obviously, given the way that Leicester City played out and what their tactics were in this match, they were playing to to get a result. I mean, wholeheartedly, mm-hmm. they were trying to play to get a result. They were, they were not going to put themselves into a position where it was going to be like automatic L, you know. And um, I, I bring up the fact that there are some fans, again, who maybe due to what you mentioned earlier, due to arrogance or naivete or a combination of the two you know thought well yeah this should be this should be easy and and, and i i didn't feel that that way going in and i was very actually was very happy that it was as competitive as it was uh, in actuality um but what the one question i had also though going going back to something you mentioned earlier rob was this was 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 this a uh, a situation where chelsea had all these chances and they just are not finding a way to convert them or was Lester playing that well on defense or a combination of the two? A mix of both. Um, I think certainly, I think Chelsea were profligate at times, at times they've been trying to score the perfect goal this season. And when they could just take a shot on, they've been laying it off or playing it in or trying to make the angle. And I think ultimately if they do start, you know, buying a ticket a bit more, they will find themselves winning the raffle an awful lot. That mm-hmm. said, um, I think Leicester, you know, defensively did make it did make it hard. They especially, you know, the two banks of four stopped them being able to play through the lines up to Kirby in the first half and also into Bethingdon's feet. Meant Chelsea had to go long and Leicester have a good strong defence in terms of the air. Um and have real aerial presence. Got to give some credit to Kirsty Lavelle as well. Made you know several unbelievable saves. I think the one from Sam Kerr was particularly good. I think it's also worth noting that if you know a goal like that, if that did go in, I think you could have seen a different scoreline because I think once one goal went in, Leicester's heads did drop a little bit and they looked a bit more you know confused and they started throwing players forward more sort of carefree. And Chelsea obviously grabbed the second on the break and did end up winning. You know, running out of a comfortable sort of two 0 win, but. I I don't think Leicester can be... I think Chelsea deserved to win, as I said yesterday on the podcast, but I don't think Leicester deserved to not take something from the game in sort of a very strange footballing dichotomy. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, there there was the first 82 minutes and then that's and then what happened after the 82nd minute and, you know, things kind of changed and I saw that shift where it was like, oh, down 1-0, then they got open, they went open. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Leicester did put in those walls of four. It was hard to break them down. They were resolute. I, I definitely also agree with the, giving a lot of credit to Kirstie Lavelle. Um, you know, she had, had a extremely good game uh given the type of firepower that was coming at her i think she even uh saved a shot with her with her face i think in one at one instance um there was a great um clearing out um by segworth uh on the line as well you know to save a goal there yeah uh, I, i'll say from where i was in the stadium that looked like that was in but again without goal line technology uh, I, I don't begrudge yeah. <laughs> lines people having to give that one because that one was impossible. I think whatever angle you were at, I think, you know, having seen replays of it, I still can't decide if it was completely over the line or not. 
And I think in real time, it would have been extremely hard. That's where the technology would have been useful. I agree with that I, because, I mean, I, I myself, I watched it several times just to see, like, hmm, is that a goal or is that a not a goal? Mm. I, and I couldn't decide. So when I, in that kind of case, I kind of fall with it not being a goal uh, because mm. it wasn't clear to me that it was. Um, unless you know, it's clearly, I, I will say, I'll, I fall on the view, unless it clearly has crossed the line, don't give the goal because you're yeah. more likely to get a mistake if you give it than if you don't give it. So you're... Um, my, Standout players for me for Chelsea in this match, uh, you were Jesse Fleming and um, and they sorry and Anik Nguyen uh, are mm-hmm. kind of like standout performances. What about you? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think you know Fleming. Fleming was superb. She was all over the pitch, really dynamic, really energetic. Um, unlucky not to score in the first half with that long range effort that Lavelle saved well. Um, obviously got the assist for the opener, but generally was just terrific. Played a bit further forward in the first half and then dropped into that deeper role and looked really good in the deeper role. Uh, she came on and had a real effect against Wolfsburg as well, added real energy in that game. And as I said at the start of the season, I think Chelsea's big thing this year is being able to really maximise the returns on Fleming and Harder because I don't think they did last year. And if you can maximise the returns on those two, you've got one absolute world-class superstar operator and then one very good young player who has the potential to get to being world-class and become world-class. Um, and I think we're now starting to see the real Jesse Fleming a little bit. I think the Olympics has really helped her. It's obviously given her a lot of confidence, you know, winning that. And I think, you know, hopefully she's just going to keep kicking on. She spoke in the programme, there was a, a piece in her in the programme about her first goal and saying that was nice to get that monkey off the back as well. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, you're starting to see, more, hopefully you're going to start to see more and more from her. In terms of Nguyen, I think she had obviously a bit of a harder job to shine um, in the game because Leicester weren't really offering a lot offensively, but she was neat and tidy. She kept the ball well. Um, she clearly does win a lot in the air. There were a lot of corners where she won first headers and flipped on. And once Chelsea can start to make better use of that, and she maybe adjusts a bit more to WSL, that's going to be a real threat, I think. Yeah, uh, Jesse Fleming, you know, some stats with her. I mean, she did have that the the one assist, but she also had, you know, the most pressures uh, on the team, had 85 touches uh, and tied on the team lead for shot creating action. So in terms of the stats numbers, she was all over the place. Uh, also, uh, I noticed, you know, a lot of movement uh, that Chelsea had from the left side. Um, with uh, Anderson, you know, pushing the ball forward. She also had uh, seven shot-creating actions as well. Yeah. Yeah, and Anderson's performance was interesting because there were some crosses where I felt that the strikers should have done better and should have been in position to finish it, and there were some of them where I think they were poor crosses and they should have been better. I think it was Yana's first start of the season, so I'm willing to, you know, give her sort of a bit of um, a bit of leeway in that regard, and I think it's now just important to see her really start to kick on too. Yeah, I noticed that Emma Hayes, you know, in her post immediate post match interview, uh, in the you know she immediately gave a shout out immediately to Jesse Fleming um, and so forth, uh, mm. and then considered that and and it said considered the t- the performance sluggish um, and so forth. I'm not sure that that's. I don't know how you feel about that that kind of terminology, but I, I like, think I think Emma with the way she. Um, like, you know, the way she conducts herself and the way she expects the team to play. I think that was a fair description, to be honest. And I think she closed with basically, you know, just kind of a, kind of a, 
marker, you know, a flag to kind of say, yeah, we need to not be like this when it comes to, to this, yeah. you know, when it comes to, you know, the tougher matches um, and so forth. And I think that was kind of a signal um, mm-hmm. there, um, which, you know, really good managers, coaches, I would, will do that um, and so forth. So there was, I think there was a, there was a message there um, in terms of that, but, um, but yeah, she definitely made special mention of, of Fleming's performance and, you know, in the starting role and so forth and really, you know, kind of shining given the moment. And so, um, you know, she, Emma talked about her training and all of that and just being able to to step up and so forth. And again, I think that's also, a, you know, a shout out, but also kind of a little bit of a message too at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, but at the end of the day, Chelsea, you know, Chelsea gets the three points. Chelsea is, you know, definitely in the, still in the mix. They're, you know, in second at this point um, behind a, a Arsenal side and so forth. Um, so it's moving forward, but now we're in a break league break now for actually quite a while. Yeah. So what is, who does Chelsea have coming up? We have, I mentioned earlier that today they're playing a uh, Juventus. Your thoughts on that, on that match coming up later today. As we're uh, it would be really interesting. Again, Juventus are another side that have come on sort of big leaps and bounds in recent years. Um, have grown very quickly, I think away from home. A point wouldn't be a bad result, but I think Chelsea, due to the match day one result, match day one results, need to win. Um, I think it wouldn't surprise me to see Fleming probably starting, maybe in with maybe this will be where we see a formation change and maybe see four at the back being used. I know that was used towards the end of the game um, at the weekend, and I think that might be a bit of an option. Um, but I think you know Fleming. We'll probably start. I think you might see um, sort of G also recall because I think she had a good game on match day one. Uh, Melly Leopold's missed out on the entire game at the weekend. I think she might get some minutes. So there could be quite a bit of rotation again. But with the squad that Chelsea do have, they can afford that. Um, from Juventus' point of view, there are some real sort of danger players, Lena Hurtig being one of them. Um, but yeah, I think you know Chelsea would hope to would hope to win it and hope to you know get really kickstart there campaign properly and just a reminder for a, sort of the north american viewers out there potentially to add a football in conjunction with da zn uh is offering on their streaming service for free uh you know the chelsea juventus match for later this afternoon on eastern side if you're listening watching this on the day that that it's recorded and recorded is three o'clock on east 12 o'clock on pacific uh, so forth on the Add a Football streaming service app on your PC, on your mobile devices, et cetera, and et cetera. And if you want to pay, you can go to DAZN too. Uh, so it's it's obviously available there. So that's great that that uh, partnership is there, so folks can uh, other folks can see it in the in North America, and so forth. And then um, then what's what's coming up after Juventus then? So after the international break. Um... We have uh, Manchester City in the cup. In the yeah. FA, in the FA Cup. La, la, last year's FA Cup, yeah. Yeah, last year's FA Cup. <laughs> I still can't get over that, but that's a semi-final. Uh, and where's that match going to be held? Uh, it's at it's at Manchester City as at Etihad Campus. Um, it may or may not feature Gareth Taylor in charge, depending on whether they do choose to give him the boot. Um, they may or may not have a fit 11 of players by that point. I'm not quite sure. But, you know, Chelsea City in the Cup is always a good game. It's always a, re- you know, City always raise their level for whenever they play Chelsea. Um, 
they could be bottom of the league in the WSL, you know, drift by 10 points, and I still wouldn't take them, you know, lightly and easy. Um, so, yeah, it'd just be, you know, hopefully a really good game, and hopefully Chelsea can get through to another cup final where they most likely will play Arsenal, um, which will be, you know, a chance for revenge, hopefully. Yeah, certainly that. So we got some miles to go before we get to the to that semifinal. So yeah, you're right. Who knows if uh, if uh, if Garrett Taylor will still be there or not? I I got a feeling he probably will, but uh, that's sort of my my feeling at this point. But there's a lot of lot of stuff going on uh, over there. Um, I'm you know, sure Kate on, is thrilled. Uh, no, she, yeah, she not she not. I'm sure Mark probably is thrilled. Garrett is still in <laughs> Yeah, exactly. With a, with a superior manager, I think they would have probably beaten uh, yeah. Manchester United at the weekend, if I'm honest. I think Manchester City played a lot better with 10 players than United did with 11. Um, and the golf was still evident, even right. though even though United did take the lead. I Even when they took the lead, I didn't think they were going to go on and win the game. Um, I couldn't see it happening. I thought, to be honest, they would go on and probably lose it still. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it... It was a strange game. Um, I don't think either side will really be happy with the point as a result. Maybe City are more happy. It's probably more of a relief. For United, I think they've missed the best chance to win um, against Manchester City. And, yeah, I think, you know, Mark Skinner, as much as, you know, he wants to say it's a good result and a good point, he will know that the opportunity is gone. Um, and yeah. He will know that, you know, that was a real chance to put a marker down. Conversely, on the other side, Manchester City saying it's a good point. I mean, I think they'd be disappointed to not win it considering they did last year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and uh, I think the shows that, that we did for, uh, this earlier, y'all want to check it out, the show that we did with Mark with the Manchester United uh, Women's Supporters Club and his reaction to the Derby. Uh, I think that's classic stuff from him also. And then we later on today, we're going to be posting a uh, Manchester city review where Kate will uh, talk about her side uh, of the Derby. And I think, yeah, there's a sense of relief there, but you know, Gareth definitely is not off the hook yet. uh, And so forth. I think they're absolutely, you know, great episodes from two different fans from two different perspectives on the Derby um, and so forth. So uh, check those things out, Rob. uh, I'm going to let you go, my man, because you got a lot on your plate with matches coming up and you cover a lot of things. So I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much again, Rob. Classic, brilliant stuff as always from you. Yeah. Thank you very much. And yeah, have a great, have a good international break as well. Yeah. So that is it for our Chelsea weekly feature for this week. Yeah. As Rob just mentioned, there is that international break that's coming up. So um, we're going to be make a little bit of programming changes during that period of time, get a little bit of rest and R&R here uh, and so forth. But, you know, we're we're still going to do a couple of things. If you are also if you are a Leicester fan, Everton and Tottenham, please DM me. If you're fans of those three, any of those three, please DM me. I want to bring you on during the international break to talk about your teams and and there are a lot of storylines with all three of those teams. So give give some other clubs fans a chance to come on and talk about your talk about your club uh, and so forth. So please DM me. My Twitter handle is right down below uh, and so forth. But if you're listening to it, it's at it's at England is burning no G at the end though uh, and so forth. Twitter doesn't allow the G uh, and. And uh, just DM me, uh, let me know you're interested, and we'll be in touch, all right? So 
this closes it out for today. Tomorrow I will be doing on my own alone. That's kind of scary, but I'm going to join the Arsenal weekly feature by myself tomorrow. So just uh, catch that when it comes and uh, have a great time, everybody. And I'll see you tomorrow.